0: Welcome to the Shilapama Extractive Podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Refilo Monoko. Refilo is a South African female geologist. Currently, she works as the executive manager at the Council for Geoscience in South Africa. Refilo is a trained field geologist who is the first black female to publish detailed geological maps, at the Council for Geoscience in South Africa. She has led various projects at the council, including the recent National Geoscience Mapping Program of South Africa. When Refila is not working, she is an informal teacher and a speaker. I have the pleasure of counting myself as one of Refila's friends. Refile, welcome to the
1: Kama Extractive Podcast. I look forward to our conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for the warm welcome and the nice introduction. I'm happy to be here uh, speaking to you. That's wonderful.
0: I-, I thought you could help us understand, because we are talking about uh, minerals that are critical to transition to green energy, people often also speak of rare ads. Can you just tell us what types of minerals are
1: classified as rare earths? Okay, thank you. Thank you for that question. So rare earth uh, elements or rare earth metals in technical terms are simply called lanthanides. So these are a set of heavy metals that's okay somewhere in the periodic table. Just to put it uh, simply, these uh, metals are actually more abundant than we think in the Earth crust. They are typically dispersed in the Earth's crust, and this is why you don't find them in large concentrations. They they, they occur okay in a sparse format uh, in terms of exploitable deposits, and hence the word or rather the term rare earths. It's not necessarily that they are not found or they are very scarce in the Earth's crust, but it's just that those that are economically viable are sparse in the Earth's crust. So I, I hope I have described it as uh, uh, simply as possible. You have, because uh, what you're saying
0: is that in terms of their occurrence, they are not rare, but in terms of their, the level of deposit, that can justify exploitation because the quantities are economically uh, feasible, then they are rare. So the rarity is not in their occurrence. The rarity is in finding them in large enough deposits to justify exploitation.
1: Is that correct? That's correct. correct? That's correct, Mehama. That's correct.
0: So you, you spoke about the periodic tables. Uh, in the periodic tables, do they represent a particular cluster? If if one was looking at the periodic tables, where would one find rare earth element? And can you give us one or two examples of these uh,
1: rare earth elements? Yes, so in the periodic table, they occur somewhere between the group two and the group three uh, metals. Examples are lithium, lanthanum, yttrium, and the most abundant of them all is cerium. So those are the type of rare earth elements that you'd find in the uh, periodic table. They occur as a cluster, there's 17 of them that you can find in in the periodic table.
0: Hmm. So uh, when we say, uh, I mean about the them occurring around group two and in a cluster, Very simplistically, what are some of the qualities that separate rare earth elements from other metallic substances? So
1: the the simplest to describe is that they are heavy metals. Even in that group, there are ones that are classified as light, rare earth elements, and those have lower atomic numbers. And those that are called heavy rare earth elements, and those have uh, uh, higher atomic uh, elements. So I think the the qualifier here, the most important thing to remember is that they are heavy. They're heavy metals, and they can uh, be used, for example, in glass, in ceramics, in magnets, and maybe more relevant to our society today, it mostly in technology.
0: Right, so let's follow through on their relevance. So the the subject of the Sheila Carbon Extractive Podcast now is the role of metals, uh, especially those that are critical, in transition to energy, to, to clean energy. What do we know about the role of rare earth elements in facilitating the technology that is necessary to transist to cleaner sources of energy.
1: So, so as we witness the rise, the sharp rise, I must add, in energy demands, we see rare earth elements being used more and more. For example, in electric vehicles, in production of generators for wind turbines, for example, and in other technological advances associated to alternative energy. And this is why rare earth elements are critical to just uh, transition, and in particular towards clean uh, energy or reducing the carbon footprint uh, as we know it today. So these, these elements are going to assist us move towards that point where we say our economy, for example, either as a continent or as a country, is um, a, a clean economy because we have now moved away from being careless about how we used uh, uh, energy uh, minerals, for example, and we are moving towards more cleaner uses of uh, energy minerals. So uh, th-
0: we, we there seem to be a challenge then, Refila, because... At the start of our conversation, you acknowledge that in effect, these minerals very rarely occur in large enough quantities to be economically exploitable. So if we know this, what does this tell us about our ability to transist to clean energy based on adequate supply of the necessary
1: minerals? So in my view, uh, Meshila, the sparse nature of the rare earth deposits or rare earth uh, metals warrant us to be deliberate about how we conduct our geoscientific mapping campaigns. So in other words, the more we uh, deliberate and, and, and perhaps aggressive about geoscientific mapping campaigns, I believe the more we will be able to uncover uh, some of those deposits. And yes, we may have located some, but my belief is that there is probably more to uncover. If, if we are strategic and deliberate about the mapping campaigns, I think that we will uncover more. Just as an example, uh, if you allow me, uh, in the recent uh, 18 months or two years and a bit, we as the Council for Geoscience implemented a mapping uh, program in the Northern Cape province of South Africa. We uncovered an additional 67% of previously unmapped pegmatites. And these are host to lithium, which is one of the rare earth elements. So all I'm saying is that we need to be strategic about how we gather the information or how we generate the information, how we campaign to get the information. And I believe that we can uncover the the amount that, that is needed for us to move towards a cleaner uh, energy economy, not just as South Africa, but as a continent. Mm. So,
0: in relation to other substances classified as, for instance, bulk minerals, precious metals, and gemstones, how much is known about the occurrence of rare earths, first in South Africa and perhaps even in
1: uh, the rest of the continent? So although although the first REEs were discovered in the, 19, in the 1800s in Sweden, I think you'll be pleased to know that Africa also has uh, REE deposits or rare earth element deposits. And in fact, uh, in the 1950s, South Africa was the leading source of global REE production. So of course, things have changed now, but countries such as Malawi, Mozambique, Zambia, Tanzania, Burundi, have such REE uh, deposits and there could even be deposits that we have not even found. But for those that we know, perhaps the question should be how can we move from a stage of potential to a stage of realisation? Because we know that these uh, deposits, we have them in our continent, we have them in Africa. So the, the question now is How do we how do we optimise them? How do we and make them uh, um, important input into uh, our economies, for example, because we we understand that not just in South Africa but in other uh, countries in the continent, that the mining sector contributes heavily to uh, uh, our economies. so we 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 do know uh, a lot but I believe that there is still a lot more to know. There's still a lot more to uncover. True.
0: So uh, if I understand your uh, science, the mapping that uh, the Council for Geoscience would have undertaken in the Northern province would be fairly high level uh, based on uh, certain rock characteristics that imply the presence, potential of certain minerals, but it doesn't necessarily say with certainty, we have this particular uh, mineral. So how then refuel, if I'm correct, do we move from that potential to actually establishing availability? How does the geoscience team in South Africa encourage uh, investment
1: in actual mineral exploration. Thank you. I think that's that. That's a that's a very important question. So this mapping campaign that I'm talking about in South Africa is actually a very detailed mapping campaign. We are mapping at a scale of one in fifty thousand scale. But although we have collected information at that scale. We have actually produced the map. We launched it uh, at the recent mining in endeavor that we have just uh, enjoyed. We launched uh, the map uh, just as an appetizer for uh, potential investors. But I think the important thing here, as you rightly say, that is the start of things, availing, first producing the information at the required scale and availing it in a format that is palatable to uh, potential investors, and not just availing the information, but making sure that all the other hurdles that uh, may impede exploration are dealt with. The barriers, for example, in, um, in efficiency in attending to exploration or prospecting license applications, in creating an enabling environment for investors. So you don't want to make information available to investors and then frustrate them with all the other administrative processes that they need to go through. So I think that that the two, and I'm saying this very generally in terms of attending to efficiencies uh, or administrative uh, inefficiencies that may make the lives of investors uh, difficult, Uh, But I think those are the two main broad things that we need to deal with, making sure that the right information is available at the right scale, in the right detail, and making sure that the environment is an appetizing environment to uh, boost uh, investor confidence, uh, for example. So So for us... Go ahead, Rosile. Thank you. So for us as a geological survey, we are not an exploration company. Ours is to make sure that pre-competitive information is made available. And it is then up to potential investors, explorers, to take that and dig even further and conduct more explorative investigations, uh, whatever, to whatever level that they need to answer uh, their own question. So, I think you put it rightly at the beginning to say that we may not necessarily even say here is the quantity, but we may say that this mineral, rare earth minerals are existent in this area, and this is the extent of the geology, and the explorers then take it from there and do more work for their own uh, uh, answers, for example. Hmm. So... You've said quite
0: a lot of very important issues, and and I want to just follow up on a couple of them uh, to make sure that the uh, Sheila Kham Extractive podcast followers uh, are on the same page with you. So, you you spoke first about large scale, and you described the current mapping as being on a scale of one to 50,000. Can you just describe what, succinctly for a layman, why does scale mapper? Sorry, why does scale matter when you are undertaking
1: these uh, mapping initiatives? Yeah, that, that's a very important question. So when we go out into the field and collect data, it simply means that we collect as much data as possible at a scale of one in fifty so that it is thoroughly descriptive. Yes, we can go a little bit lower. That's when maybe we do follow up studies. But it has been a standard practice, a standard international uh, best practice to map at one in 50,000 scale. And that has been proven to be enough for potential explorers, for example, and maybe for those who even want to graduate their programs into mining uh, programs. So that simply means that we are collecting data at a little bit more detail than ordinary. It is possible to map at a high level and just indicate maybe uh, this is the extent uh, of the, the rock type or the rock formation. Um, but when we when we go, uh when we want to provide enough detail for explorers for miners uh one in fifty thousand scale is the best uh um uh detail uh to to map it and maybe if you allow me Meshila, let me add that countries like australia canada the usa have actually invested a lot in detailed uh um scale mapping Uh, in one in fifty thousand scale mapping and their work has proven that that investment is going to so so for example if the state invests a dollar uh, it is proven that the the multiplication can be up to five dollars and the direct value that will be generated at the end when now the minerals have been mapped can be up to $125. So I'm just trying to create uh, a picture in somebody's mind on the value of going to that level. One, it is enough, or rather it is it is okay for potential explorers. And it, 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 it can even generate much more uh, value at the end, even for the same uh, explorers. So, um, I hope I'm answering you without going too much uh, to town, but it, just, it simply means that we are generating enough detail to make proper decisions in terms of exploration or mining. And when we look at data at a crude scale, for example, and many companies, sorry, many countries have mapped at a crude scale, like one in fifty, one in two fifty thousand scale, for example, or one in a million, that is not enough to inform uh, explorers on the details of how far they can go. That is uh, too big a scale to to allow them to make those very critical decisions of whether to abandon the project or to continue.
0: Hmm. No, you've answered very well because what you're really saying is there is a correlation between the scale uh, at which the mapping is undertaken and the the value of the detail that is generated. That if you are too That's small, it, you deliver very little value. And and in effect, you don't achieve the end uh, state, which is to attract uh, explorers because they have information that on the basis of which they can have, if you wish, a baseline. Uh, but But That's I correct. think also what you're saying is that contrary... To per- perhaps you know other people's perception, investing in detail mapping has proven to give a return on countries uh, a- yes. a- and that actually, by investing on detail mapping, not yes. only do you attract explorers but Chances of you getting a return are quite significant, but but I I think also you you made mention of the the second step, and I think this is worth pausing and talking about it a bit more. Which is that mapping is just stage one other institutions beyond, for instance, the Council for Geoscience whose job it is to attract investment and manage relations are critical because if you don't have an environment in which the explorers can then uh, experience what is called ease of doing business, then this investment that has been made in mapping can also be lost.
1: That's correct, that's correct. That's, that's So this then becomes like an ecosystem and everyone has to play their part. And if we don't, and, and I always think about uh, collaboration as, the uh, current currency if you allow me to put it that way so collaboration is the new currency so we need to say who is responsible for what and how far does their scope go so for example any country and i know in Botswana we have a geological survey as well uh, the role of geological surveys is to make sure that that critical information is available but beyond that states need to come in and make sure that after these geological surveys which in themselves are state entities after they have done their work how can we make sure that all that they have done does not uh, um, result in not so we have to make sure that our systems whether administrative systems or regulatory systems are encouraging investors to come, whether they are internal investors or external investors, but we don't want to create headaches for them when they they say, now we are ready to start projects. And an example I can think of is how we administer prospecting license applications, for example, how long we take to respond. If there is a problem, what do we do to make sure that we help the applicant to resolve some of those issues? How do we make sure that we, for those uh, uh, applicants who may not necessarily have enough funding, how do we make those resources available to them? What are the terms that we are going to agree to make sure that the projects continue? Because at the end of it all, What matters is the contribution that will be uh, drawn into or brought into uh, the economy, the growth of the economy, job creation, for example, bettering the lives of communities around those mining uh, or exploration projects. So if we think about that as the ultimate goal in our minds, I think we'll be able to order our steps and order our steps very quickly. And one of the things that we need to also not forget is how do we um, ignite or keep the flame burning in terms of investing in research and development? Without research and development, I think we would probably not be here in terms of rare earth elements if we didn't, if countries did not invest or individuals did not invest in researching these rare earth elements that we are talking about, how far they can go in terms of application. I don't think we would even be talking about things like electric vehicles today. So those are some of the things that we need to think about as governments to make sure that we don't don't say that we want a growing economy, but on the other hand, not fixing all of the inefficiencies that have already been identified or making it difficult for projects to graduate into mining uh, projects, if I can put it that way.
0: No, that's, that's uh, absolutely uh, correct because it's one thing to, for governments to utter statements of intent. It's another to then have policies, institutions, and a, a, as you said, a comprehensive ecosystem that actually speaks to that intent and, and, and it, it's, it's entirely another for investors to come and experience that willingness and, and that desire yes. to attract investment because often governments say, we want investors. The investors come and there's no one to welcome them and facilitate yes. the investment. And then you, we, we, we get nowhere. I want to go back to the information. So you made mention of the fact that you launched uh, the outcomes of uh, this uh, mapping in uh, the Northern Province at Mining in Indaba. So at Mining yes. in Indaba, you would have had the benefit of an audience that was in the room and traffic that was obviously, uh, you know, brought to the correct mindset. But then you go back to the Council for Geosciences. Uh, the potential investors go back to Canada, Australia, China, and, and what have yes. you. How do you continue? What are some of the means by which in modern day technology, you can continue to make that uh, information available without people having to come physically to you. And, and, and what are the cost
1: implications? Yes. Yeah. So, so maybe I must add this, uh, Meshila, that, that when we launched uh, that map or that information, we uh, actually tracked that exploration or prospecting licenses grew. So we looked at what the quantum of exploration licenses was before we launched the information and what it was just after we launched the information. And there's the, the, the general, the a general increase. Because um we cannot expect investors to always come and knock at the Council for Geoscience. So what we also did uh, on that day was that we launched the GeoPortal of the Council for Geoscience. So this means that you can actually, without flying all the way to South Africa, you can log onto our website. We have a portal. You can access uh, uh, this information. Uh, We have made uh, several packages of information available free of charge. So people who are interested can log onto our uh, portal and get that information. And I'm not saying every information is free, but if you if if you don't get what you're looking for on the on the website, you can uh contact us, then we'll guide you on how else you can get the information, whether at cost or or, or free or free of charge. So this then uh also leads me to uh, uh the issue of data management. So we have a duty as a geological survey or slash a science council, because we are a, a custodian, we are a legal custodian of geoscientific information in our country, we have a duty to make sure that our data management is as prudent as can be. So that means that the information that we have collected from, a, a, and this year we are celebrating 110 years of existence from uh, back then, information that we have uh, Acquired back then, information that we continue to generate, we need to make sure that we are managing that information prudently. What do I mean uh, by that? I mean that we may we need to make sure that one, the information is correct; two, the information is properly classified. Because there's information that can be made free uh, to the public. There's information that is still confidential that we are not at liberty to make free. And three, making sure that information is easily retrievable, not just for us internally in the science council, but for purposes where a potential investor, for example, wants information. So it, it, it should be a seamless uh, uh, process. Lastly, we have a duty to make sure that that information is stored properly, that the there is minimal disruption in terms of uh, uh, making sure the information is safe, making sure the information is secure, either by making sure that there's a proper infrastructure from an IT uh, perspective, and that there are proper systems in-house to make sure that, for example, if there's a data query, we know who must attend uh, to what, quickly so that we can attend to the request of the of the uh, potential explorer or anyone who looks for that information. So they don't need to drive to the Council for Geoscience unless they really want to come and see us and greet us. But they can always get onto our web- website, get that information. If not, they can contact us at info at if they need uh, more information that they cannot see on the website. that's So I that's, think although we are not there yet, but we have made drastic improvements to make the lives of data requesters uh, simple. That's wonderful.
0: It's I particularly like the fact that uh, after launching uh, the results of the mapping, you saw a spike in uh, the level of uh, activity and level of queries, because that really is the best feedback, and that is also the the best outcome in the the short term. I wanted to uh, come back to your reference to uh, research and development, R&D. You made mention of the link between uh, transition to green energy T- new technological innovations and R&D in understanding rare earths Can you just elaborate a little more? What, what are some of the things when we do R&D that we're looking for that enable us to then make a direct link between the value of these rare areas, uh technological innovations, and uh, the economy, and how much of that is happening in South Africa today?
1: Thank you, thank you, Meshila, for that question. So, in a general sense, the investment of states in innovation, in research, in development is always a good investment. And the more of it we do, the better off we will be. So, in us resolving barriers that hinder us from making those investments, I think it will go a long way. So this is just a general statement that applies to any uh, commodity, for example, any mineral in uh, the mining sector. And I think the same applies to rare earth elements uh, as well. Um, There there are a lot of research projects that have happened in the past where we have found, uh, for example, that the minerals that we thought are applicable for one thing that with more research we discover that actually we can even use them for other things uh, so things like uh, uh lithium things like or in fact the rare earth elements uh, themselves in the past uh, say 50 years ago there was no talk of an electric vehicle it is now that electric vehicles are becoming more popular meaning that we may have known about rare earth elements already in the 1800s, but perhaps the applications that we attached to those was very different to the applications that we are attaching to rare earth elements today. So what I'm saying is that research and development is a progressive wheel. And my belief is that the more research we do, we may find that rare earth elements are even applicable for other things beyond electric vehicles and maybe uh, generators in wind turbines, as I had indicated uh, earlier. So my, uh, and I I know that um, countries that have been implementing rigorous research and development projects are far ahead. And as opposed to those that have uh, made limited investments in research and development. And I think, and, and I mean, I'm saying this carefully, it, it, it's a general uh, a statement that I, I, I suspect that as Africa, we haven't done enough research. Maybe let me put it in the positive. There's an opportunity for Africa to do more research, to do more uh, uh yeah innovation projects so that we can see how far we can stretch the use of rare earth elements uh, for example and i think in many of the cases that uh, we've talked about electric vehicles many of these things are studies that come outside africa but i think this is high time for for us as africa to rise to the, the a level that says that We understand our energy needs as Africa, and here is what we are going to do as a continent to cater for those needs so that we don't depend too much on forces outside, or maybe forces is not the right word, but on on people outside Africa to come and solve our own uh, problems. And and, and I think that will give us more uh, leverage if we, as a collective, And decisively so and deliberately so say that these are the things that we are going to implement in order to cater for energy needs, including research and development in uh, rare earth uh, elements. Hmm. So So I think that there's more to do. Absolutely. But to be
0: fair, uh, there also always is more to do. Uh, But to your point, uh, research helps us answer not just the question of to what use uh, technologically can these rare earths uh, be put and and what qualities do they exhibit and how can they be part of the transition to green energy? They also uh, fundamentally answer the question of what does the future look like? And and, and they also help uh, governments determine how they can position themselves strategically Uh, at a time when everybody is looking to uh, reduce carbon emissions. Speaking of the importance of uh, looking to ourselves, uh, you made mention of uh, the geological survey in Botswana. There is the geological survey in Namibia. Both, uh, from what I read, uh, are relatively well regarded. I do want to ask you, how much collaboration has there been between the region whether it is the whole pan african region or sadc in addressing those opportunities and challenges of r&d of mapping and of uh, distributing and managing uh, gis uh, you know information
1: yes yes so and uh, this 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 phrase is is uh, so uh, resonating with me that collaboration is the new uh, currency, and I think that in in many cases we have missed big opportunities because we have not come together, we have not collaborated enough. But as long as we are alive, there's still an opportunity to collaborate even more. So we have a body called the Organization of African Geological Surveys for Africa. And we happen to be the secretariat of uh, that organization. Um, the chairmanship moves from one country to, to another. So it's a, it's, it's a term that uh, countries enjoy. We have deliberated on various issues, including artisanal mining, environmental matters. We have also talked about rare earth elements as an energy source, but we have done so at a very high level. And I think here we have an opportunity once again to be decisive, to be deliberate about how we are going to resolve how Africans are going to resolve African energy demands. So I think whereas we've started the conversation, we still need to to now be more clear about the steps we are going to take. We now need to move beyond talking about them at uh, uh, round tables in boardrooms, but say to ourselves, here are the programs that we are going to implement and here is how we are going to move in implementing those uh, programs as a region, so uh, all I'm saying, uh, Meshila is that there's still an opportunity to uh, deliberate more and to be active. Because I know we we talk a lot, uh, and uh, uh, and I think there's an opportunity to actually move to a stage where we actually uh, do. So um, after we have then decided how we are going to make sure that we implement these um, programs, and, and for one simple reason, there may be others, for one main reason, that geology is not a respecter of boundaries of countries. For example, the geology that you find in South Africa, you'll find also in Botswana, you'll find also in Namibia. In fact, the uh, uh, pegmatitic belt that I've just mentioned that uh, have uh, been uncovered that you, that uh, hosts rare earth elements is also present in Namibia. So why are we not talking to one another? Why are we not talking about strategies to make sure that there is power in regional uh, approach, so it's one thing to to think about uh, as as we move towards addressing our own energy demands in in Africa. So, talking about, uh, I, I I may have missed your second question. I think you were asking about how we collate the information as in a region.
0: No, I was just. Uh, I think you have answered it because I was just trying to find out how effective. Uh, we are at the moment in, in collaborating in whatever way. But but I I, 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 I sense that, um, to your point, as is typical uh, in, if you wish, Pan-African and regional initiatives, there can sometimes be a disconnect between the aspirational and the executioner. And, and yes. my sense is that uh people are able to recognize the big picture and 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 they can place this this vision and this aspiration in the public domain and sometimes they can even write it down in terms of the Africa yes. mining vision but then when you look ten years down the road or twenty years down the road and says well what are the the tangible verifiable mm. quantifiable results then we come short and and I really do think yeah. that to achieve uh the kind of Uh, goals and the kind of potential that you you articulate, that that transition from the the utterance to the execution is critical. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you one last uh, question, uh, Refili, and that is that uh, coming back to the importance of uh, data collection, coming back to the importance of the well being a single universe and the world being increasingly technologically and digital. I know that there are a lot of satellites that fly the globe and are deployed by governments, uh, private companies, and they are continuously photographing the earth. And with that, Mm. collecting data that previously was not available. Is that an opportunity for countries that may not have resources to acquire this data uh, albeit to your point at a relatively high scale but use it at least as the beginning uh, and if so to what extent is this data available
1: and useful yeah thank you thank you for that and i and i just wanted to say you're so right uh, in in the last point that you you have made so there is Satellite information that can be accessed by anybody from anywhere, free of charge. All you need is just to have space to be able to store uh, the data. There there are some data that cost, that are available at at cost. But I think to answer your question of availability uh, is that the data is available. It depends on what kind of data uh, is being sought It can easily be accessed, or an organization can decide to purchase that data. I am saying this because the Council for Geoscience has purchased uh, satellite uh, information that we were using for uh, one one project or the other. So in terms of availability, the information is there. Uh, It just depends whether one wants to pay for it or one wants uh, free information. So again, in terms of uh, uh, looking at data availability, we also need to say to ourselves, what questions do we want answered? And after we have articulated and are clear in our minds what questions we want answered, then we can decide what satellite information will be required. As a start, and, and I like the point that you made at the beginning that as a, it, it's a it's a start because looking at satellite information is okay but it may require us to even zoom in a more and the zooming in may mean that we ourselves need to go out into the field for example and collect the detail that we we now want to answer our own uh, uh, questions so when when we have then collected, that satellite information, we need to go a step further and look at it in conjunction with the detailed information. And and I think that's where we will begin to extract more value. What does the big picture say? And what does the detailed picture uh, say? Are we getting answers to the questions that we want uh, answered, answered in our minds? So maybe just to answer you in short, is that avail- these data are available, satellite data uh, are available, access is there. And as long as you're on the right platform, anyone can access that information. Um, and if, if, if we want a very specialized information, we may need to pay just a little bit uh, for it, but the information is is definitely there.
0: That's fantastic. Well, uh, Rifile. That was excellent. I, I think uh, the Sheila Khamer Extracted podcast followers will benefit immensely from your knowledge. Thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Uh, on behalf of the Council for Geoscience, uh, thank you so much.